except for my dad. My dad said the first things that came out of his mouth when they took the bandages off was, you're so beautiful. And since the day I can remember, my dad's always said that to me since the day I was born. So that was a voice that I remember hearing through all this trauma and expressions of everyone's faces. Some of my brothers, I mean, they were young. They were laughing because that's what brothers do. Um, but they, they feel so guilty now when we talk about it, when we go back and we look back. But they were young boys and, you know, that's what brothers do. They taunt their sisters and sisters taunt their brothers. And Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another wonderful episode of the Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have a world changer with us and she's the person of Erica Freeman too. She is a global business, she's a global beauty strategist with embracing all tones for all tones of women. The transformational life coach, she's amazing. And she also has um, the Erica Freeman to consultancy. So Erica, welcome mm-hmm. to this amazing show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and thank you for having me, Victor. It was really strange for me to be interviewed because I'm the one that's usually doing the interviews. And wow. I decided today to do this interview with no makeup on at all. So I'm really being my transformational self. I'm being my true self. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. It is, it is, it is my pleasure to, to have you here today. See, you've been through, you've been, you've experienced so many challenges, personally and professionally. You get so rather than forcing your, rather than forcing yourself from, that's like hiding away due to your challenges, you came out to become this phenomenon. But before we go into that, can you just tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, by all means. Um, you know what? Um, just touching on the challenges that you've mentioned, no one puts things in front of themselves for to face challenges it's just things that have just happened to me but before I go into any details Sergi quite rightly said Erica Fremantle global beauty strategist I've been in the makeup industry before the beauty industry in total now for about 30 36 years so I started off in the 80s I started off my career at the same time as um, Pat McGrath and Naomi Campbell, um, young black girl in the UK, had no idea what I was doing, why I was doing it or where I was going. I, um, before I went into makeup artistry, I was involved in a car accident. So this bald head that you see here is not fashion statement. It's my, I was involved in a car accident. That accident left me with no hair, uh, multiple scars to my face and a near amputation of my left leg. So you can imagine being a young girl with your whole life ahead of you, so you thought, full of your prime and all your friends were going to parties, going to clubs. And I was in a, in a petrol station paying for petrol and the lady came in and she lost control of her car. And instead of um, putting her foot on the brake, she put her foot on the accelerator, which then collided into me and made me into a human sandwich. My face landed in the glass. My hair apparently fell out there and then my body went into shock. And the full impact of the car hit my left leg and my left leg was broken in five places. I was rushed to hospital. Um, and I remember this was in the 80s. It, I was rushed to King's College Hospital in South London, Camberwell Green. And they, I believe, wanted to use me as an experiment. They wanted to amputate my leg and mess around with my skin. But my parents wouldn't allow that. My father said to them, before amputating her leg, amputate mine. Give her the opportunity. If it heals, and if it heals incorrectly, then so be it. Um, 
with the scars to my face, my face was wrapped in bandages for, I think it was three months. And my hair loss, well, everyone knew that I'd lost my hair, but I didn't because my entire face was wrapped in this bandage to heal my scars. It was only when the um, bandages came off my face, um, obviously my head felt light and I knew my head had been cut, but I didn't quite realize it had been shaved. And you can appreciate if I had the bandages on my head for three months, even if I'd known, which I didn't know that my head had been shaved, I would have thought it would still be some hair. But because of the shock of what my body went through, my hair never grew back. So when um, the doctors eventually took the bandage off my face, as, as terrible as my face was, it's not the first thing I noticed. Having had hair, a lot of hair, and then been given the mirror to look at my then face and head, I was just absolutely appalled. I was devastated. And when that revealing moment came, I had all my brothers. I have five brothers. I'm the only girl. My mom and my dad and a couple of my aunties were in the room at the time. And no one had to say anything. It was the horror on their faces that said it all. Except for my dad. My dad said the first things that came out of his mouth when they took the bandages off was, you're so beautiful. And since the day I can remember, my dad's always said that to me since the day I was born. So that was a voice that I remember hearing through all this trauma and expressions of everyone's faces. Some of my brothers, I mean, they were young. They were laughing because that's what brothers do. Um, but they, they feel so guilty now when we talk about it, when we go back and we look back. But they were young boys and, you know, that's what brothers do. They taunt their sisters and sisters taunt their brothers. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. I think I cried for years, more than days, weeks and months and years. Um, obviously, I was then taken home. Um, I was taken home in a wheelchair and um, had to learn to walk again. But before even learning to walk, which was terrible for me, but it was learning to look at myself in the mirror. I couldn't do that. I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I stayed in the house for two years. One, because I couldn't walk. But two, where was I going? I mean, I had no hair. My face was full of scars. I was, as far as I was concerned, extremely ugly. When I was at school, I was bullied as a child. I was told that I was ugly and I would never amount to anything. And my lips were so big. My nose was, my eyes were too big and my nose was too flat. Well, as far as I was concerned, this was confirmation of all of that. And this was the epitome. You couldn't get any uglier than I was. That was my school of thought. And um, so where was I going? Where, where, I mean, I couldn't walk. I had a scar face. I had no hair. Psychological issues. Brothers laughing at me. Um, a father that adored me. Mum that looked after me. Mummy adored me and loved me too. But I have a very special bond with my father. Um, so yeah, so the weeks turned into months. Months turned into 18 months. and. Um, I remember, oh, I remember one day looking in the mirror and after my father forced me and I could see the scars and I remember they weren't as bad as they were maybe a year before. And my dad said to me, what do you want to do with your life? And I remember saying to him, I want to fix people's faces with scars. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that there must be other people in the world that look like me. And in my mind, I mean, no, no matter how bad it was to the individual, it's 10 times worse, Victor, 10 times worse. 
So my dad would always stroke my face and stroke my head and say to me that it's going to be okay, it will get better. I remember sitting in the house one day and um, thinking I've got to do something about these scars on my face. The head, we could do something. We could wear a wig if I had to, but it's not what I really wanted to do. And then I remember the history lesson at school where they spoke about the Egyptians and um, using mud on their face to heal scars. I don't know where the thought process came from. I don't know why I remembered it. I then went into the garden, I got some earth, mixed it with water and put it on my face. Victor, it looked absolutely awful. It looked absolutely disgusting. It dried as mud does into clay. But I tell you something, that moment changed my life forever because as far as I was concerned, it looked so much better than what was actually there. Mm. Um, and that was my first time of stepping out into the streets. I went to the shops with this big, thick plaster of Paris <laughs> uh, made of clay on my face. But you know what? It didn't matter what anyone else said or thought. It's how I felt about myself. It made me feel good. But one thing I learned is that I couldn't smile because if you smile, it would crack. It's mud and it would just fall off. So that was my cycle. That was my cycle with myself, my way of thinking about my life, my experiences. And that was just who Erica became. But while I was doing that, I really did notice after a couple of weeks that the scars on my face started to heal. They weren't so vibrant, they weren't so raised. And lo and behold, I discovered a way to heal the scars on my face. I then said to my dad, Dad, I really would like to do some sort of training. And he asked me if I want to be a nurse, and I said, no, there's too much studying. I remember looking at Essence. No, I don't think it was Essence, what's the other one? Um, Ebony magazine in the 80s. And there was always these beautiful black women in the front cover in the magazines from Whitney Houston to whoever. But they all looked the same. Their skin always looked the same. And that awoken me up about makeup. I then, as I said, said to dad, I want to become a makeup artist. And my dad said, a what? <laughs> I won't exactly use the tone of voice that he used. But he said, you know, even by you using the, saying the word makeup, I can see that it made you smile. So anything that makes you smile, anything that makes you happy, let's pursue it. And then we didn't have a phone in those days. So we went to the telephone box and we opened the yellow pages and scrolled down the yellow pages. And my dad found Complexion School of Makeup, which was in Holborn. So we rang them up and he asked them how much was it to pursue the course. They said £3,000. My father nearly died in the phone box. £3,000 in the 80s is a lot of money. £3,000 now is still a lot of money. Yeah. It's still a lot of money. So what my mum and dad decided to do was sell their house. One of their houses. And... Um, my mum and dad paid for me to pursue this makeup course and ironically when I did this makeup course at Complexion School of Makers, Makeup I passed with distinctions I was the only black girl there it was an international school in Holborn as I said and all the students there had flown in from all over the world very wealthy backgrounds but little did I know that that was going to be the beginning of my career as we know it now and those women there that I embarked and pursued the course with we're going to become lifetime friends. Um, so I did that. So that was the beginning of my career as a makeup artist, which was a long time ago. And how I got my first job, which I think is really relevant, is I was 
stuck at home after I'd been qualified and a friend of mine rang me up and she said to me, Erica, in Brixton Town Hall, because I lived in Brixton, there's going to be a fashion show and they need makeup artists and I think you should come along because you're now qualified. I said, why would anybody want a bald, scarred face woman with a limp? She said, just come and bring your kit. I've told them about you. So I went along with the view to do the makeup for a few makeup artists, sorry, for a few models that had arrived. These women were, these young women were five foot 10, five foot 11, six foot giraffes, beautiful looking women. So that immediately made me feel intimidated with my scars and, you know, my lack of hair and my limp and my insecurities. And the worst thing of all was when we got there, everyone started screaming and applauding and really happy to see this woman with her trolley because the makeup artist hadn't arrived. The official makeup artist hadn't arrived. So I got literally thrown into the deep end and I did the makeup for 50 women. I didn't know what I was doing. I have to do their makeup and obviously it was a success because there and then someone from Island Records was there. They saw the work that I did. They loved what I did and they signed me to become an in-house makeup artist. Um, and that's how my career started in the makeup and the beauty industry. Because it was kind of, it's kind of I, I'm just going to bring you a little, just a little bit back because mm. your, the mindset, yo, how did you I know, thank God for dads, because I'm a dad as well, so thank God for that. Well, your dad said you were beautiful. I have, I have my second daughter now. She's, she's got this, this, just, let me not say just like mine, but um, a little bit more than mine. But she doesn't, um, she's not really that confident about hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she wants to like go on the wig, or want to go on the makeup. Some uh, not, not not makeup, but the wig sometimes. How old is she? Um, just give me give me give me two seconds. She just walked in, and okay. um, I would like I, I would like for you to say something something to her. Come on, come on, say hello to her. She just walked in now. Yeah, you see okay. her. Okay. Right? Oh, me? hello there. Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. And what is yeah. your name? Uh, Tobo. Hello. As you know, I'm Erica, Erica Freeman. So lovely to meet you. Yeah. Can you just tell us something that she is beautiful the way she is? Well, I, I mean, I don't need to tell her she's beautiful, my darling. I want you to tell yourself that you're beautiful because beauty starts from within. So I'm just being here now, being interviewed by your father live. And I was just telling him about my whole experience about how I lost my hair many, many years ago. But even before losing my hair and going to school, people told me that I was ugly. They told me that I'd never amount to anything. They called me big eyes. And as I got older, when I lost my hair, they called me bald head. They called me some really awful names. Now I look at myself and I know that I'm beautiful, but I believe that I'm beautiful because it comes from within. So just to add to what your father's asked of me, Victor's asked of me, you are absolutely gorgeous. But it doesn't matter how much I tell you, you have to believe that. Okay? So you are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Good. No problem. No problem. Yeah. So the mindset, the mindset, because... Most, let me say, most people would just go the opposite direction, everything away from the spotlight. Mm. 
but you but you embraced the spotlight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Embraced mm-hmm. The spotlight and now you are this global phenomenal you 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 you've been you 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 you're very successful on your own right so how did you manage to like the step by step how did you brick by brick start going back to you towards- know it's, it's yes thank you victor thank you for your kind words and hearing you say that it sounds like i was there then i got here but i have only just at the age that i am now it's taken me 36 years to get to where i am remember i'm the only girl i'm in a household with five brothers i have no sister to emulate to to as my role model my mom's got her own issues with herself having come to the uk from the caribbean and not feeling embraced and not feeling wonderful even though my father loves loved her and still loves her and made her feel confident but as a british born black woman the first generation in the uk i had a lot of stuff to deal with but to summarize from there to now as i just said to your daughter for me i was a lost young black woman that if i went to the caribbean they told me to go back my father always took me to jamaica every year since the age of two he, he, he felt it was important that I knew who I was. I knew my grandparents, I knew his sisters. For him, that was his life. If he had children, his children needed to know who he was. Um, so my dad did all the right things that he felt he should do as a father. But somehow it was never enough. I didn't know that. I just know that I always felt lost. And every time I went back to Jamaica, I was that cousin from England. In England, I always felt lost. I felt isolated. I didn't. I wasn't able to communicate that pain that I was feeling for want and desire and wanting to know who I was. I traveled the world in my career. It's taken me to lots of places. The British government government sent me to first and foremost, South Africa. This is all going to make sense in a moment. Um, Sent me to South Africa to do some research on the beauty industry. This was 15 years ago and I loved it. I was able to see other black women, that looked like me, shaved their head, dark skin, but I didn't see that many women of power back then. There may be a lot more now in the future, but I didn't see, there may be a lot more now, but I didn't see any then. Then I went to Gambia. I saw so many women that looked like me, women of power, women of um, substance, and I started to feel a sense of belonging and recognition. I then went to Ghana, and my gosh, I was so happy. There was this sense of sensitivity, this relative. I was able to look at the women. I was able to understand the culture. I was able to understand the food. I felt this joy, this happiness. I was just like, I'm moving. I'm moving to Ghana. I found home. I was then sent on another assignment to Nigeria. And that's it. That's it, Victor. I have never looked back. Um, since going to Nigeria, I think it's almost 13 years ago now, I have found who I am, what I am. I really had to recharge. It was almost like being reborn. I had to start again. I saw so many people that looked like me, so many women that looked like me, so many people that had my characteristics, so many women that wanted to survive and were excelling in their space. But more importantly, Victor, I found me. Now, I get a lot of people that argue with me and they say to me, 
but um you know especially from the caribbean how can you claim africa especially nigeria to be your own i am not claiming it i know it's mine because it's a spiritual feeling that i eric freeman to have experienced it may not be what anybody else has experienced but when i it's not as if i hadn't been to the caribbean and i'm claiming nigeria or africa the continent we all come from somewhere and that place is africa in my opinion i didn't know this as a child what you feel is what you feel and when i got there i found home now the fact that i was able to find home and relatability to a lot of things that i was confused about even being there but something felt right that was when i was reborn and that is when i started to grow and recognize who i was and felt a lot more comfortable about the skin that i lived in i still had lots of different issues you know we all have our issues i still suffered from depression i still did so many different things but as a whole as a as a woman as a human being i felt home in nigeria and i have never felt more comfortable about the woman that i am um the skin that i live in and the opportunities that have arisen from being in nigeria and i've now used that expertise and that knowledge to bring back to the uk and other parts of the world when i'm in america and when i talk about um embracing all tones when i talk about culture when i talk about heritage when i talk about feeling whole as a person it's because i have found me and i went home to find my spirit that is so what i hear what I hear from you now is that no matter where you are, you if you are still on this on this journey, it doesn't matter where you are. You still you still go through stuff, but it's a gradual process. It's not like you're jumping from here to here immediately, going from going from being depressed or going from not knowing who you are to this very powerful you. In, in 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 just in just a flick of a finger that's what i'm hearing now and so for those for those who will be listening to this or for those that are listening to us it's just that they should understand that it is a journey it is a process and it might take as long as they want but the decision has to come from you basically mm. yes yeah and i also think a lot of it is about the people you surround yourself with and the environments that you're in. If you are around positive people that embrace and accept you for who and what you are, you can only but grow. It's like feeding, you know, a, a seed. If you put water on it and you nurture it, it will grow with love. But if you put too much water on it, it will drown. And if you don't give it enough water, it, obviously it will dry. And I needed where I was in my life, I needed to find that place of solace with people that would just accept me for me. So invariably there was something inside of me that was lost, that was searching, you know, and um, I never ever felt like I belong. Now being a mature woman and having lived as long as I have, I'm very grateful for all the experiences, but I truly have the right to call myself a transformational coach even though i am i am trained in that said area um because i have transformed my own life i've had i've sourced the help that i've needed i'm very proud of where i am 
I look forward to the future, whatever that may be. Um, I'm happy about the woman that I've become. And I'm so, I feel I'm so fortunate to be able to share my mishaps and my good times. I've had, you know, loads of good times too with those that are coming up behind me, with especially all of this Black Lives Matters that's happened of late in the media. But as far as I'm concerned, it's been happening every day of my life, you know, um, just because the media is, it's been emphasized on the media, doesn't mean that it's just started. It's always been there. It's how we've always lived as black people in a diaspora, um, whether we want to be, whether we've noticed it or not, we all know somebody that's gone through something negative um, or being suppressed because of the color of their skin. However, my answer to that, Victor, is we can't change who we are. We will never change who we are. Why should we change who we are? But we have to create our own spaces, our own tables, build upon those and bring up those that are worthy, not just because you're black, you know, but those that are worthy to be in your space and just get on with it and do what we need to do in a very positive light. And that's what I'm trying to do. Wow, that is that is so that is so powerful. I I totally agree with you. And I saw and I saw one of your interviews that you say you only work with women because you've never been a man. So <laughs> why is that? Okay, so you saw that on Netflix. It was mm-hmm. a documentary called Skin where I had to speak about different periods of my life and there was a point in time where as I mentioned before that I didn't like the skin that I lived in but I was always proud to be black but I always wanted to be a different shade of black because growing up and maybe even now um, there's a school of thought that the lighter you are the more priorities you or the way you are treated differently but you know forget all of that I've I won't say forget it for those that are still living it because it's still very important, but I've come through that. Well, I've never worked with men. I can only be honest. I have never been a man. So my school of thought, I can't think like a man. I can only ask advice from men. But as a woman, I've lived, I've been married and divorced twice. I've I've had a child. I've done so many things as a woman. So I can see things truthfully and hopefully from a woman's perspective, not necessarily meaning that it will always be right, but I understand about period pains. I understand about um, the menopause. I understand about emotions. I understand about rejection as a woman. I understand about positivity. I understand about losing your hair, being bored as a woman. I understand the impact that it has on you as a woman. I understand the rejection from a man as a woman. So I can't tell you how things are from a man's point of view. I can only speak to my five brothers who all have different various variations of what it is to be a man. But as a woman, I will never be anything else as far as I know. So that's the reason. I don't think I could tell a man how to live his life as a man. So I hold my lane. I know my lane and I advise accordingly. And you're maintaining, and you're maintaining your lane. And I'm maintaining my lane. Yes. yes. Thank you. Mm. Thank you very much for this for this chat. I know you're very busy, so I'll let you go. If not, we'll be here all day. <laughs> and um, thank you for the advice to my to my daughter. And um, yeah. I know she'll go and reflect on it. And I told her she's gonna watch Skins anyways. So for oh, you, okay. for, yeah. For those who've not watched Skins, um, you have to go watch Skins on Netflix and check Erica out. 
Yeah. And you know, and you know, on skins, um, the other lady that did the documentary, she's actually from my state in Nigeria. So, oh, Beverly Naya, yeah, yeah, she's from my state. She's from the the northern part of my state. Oh, I'm from the western part of the state, from yeah. Delta State, anyways. So yeah. it was it was a good one, and um, yeah, it was a good one for you're very them. proud of her. Yeah, you're I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. Beverly is a, a good friend of mine. We met on one of my many trips to, to Lagos, Nigeria. Oh. Um, she's a huge success in what she's doing. And, you know, I, I'm glad to call her a, a, a friend. She's done something. I mean, the documentary was different from what people were expecting, but it was women. I happen to be the oldest woman on the documentary, just speaking about their truth and their experience. I was the only non-Nigerian. Mm -hmm. you know but i don't no one sees me as a non-nigerian they see me as a nigerian yeah you know I, i'm a black sister there doing my thing and i think that was the only country the only environment that i could have spoken so deeply because there was a lot more that wasn't edited in the movie in the mm -hmm. documentary but um it was an honor and a privilege to be part of that and that is one of the reasons why we set up um, ETAO embracing all tones of women as a platform to recognize predominantly women and men um, for their achievements in the creative production, beauty, film, fashion industry to become a member of our platform to enable them to meet like minded and other professionals like themselves to hopefully mentor them and encourage them to grow. We also recognize icons. So we recently just given Banke Mashida Lawao, one of the most successful makeup artists in Nigeria, in Africa. She has over a million followers, but we also this week just interviewed Kate Henshaw, who's one of my dear friends and also mm -hmm. a very successful actress. Um, so what we're doing is we enable communities, societies, whether you are Caucasian, African, wherever you're from, to become a member of the ETAIL platform and celebrate with us the most successful women of colour. So for those of you that don't know anything about black women and how we think and what we want and how glamorous we are, you can come and board our platform, our membership, and look at us from afar so that you can then learn from that to take with you to any areas of industry that you work in or you're going to work in or even personal relationships um get to know people of color and understand how we think and realize that you know africa is not a country it's a continent mm -hmm. and the caribbean is over there and africa's over there and we're just trying to educate people on what we already know so that's what we do on our platform um victor thank you very much for having me as you know i can speak for everyone ever everyone knows that i love i'm very passionate about what i do but more importantly i'm a passionate about life i'm a passionate about me where i'm at and i look forward to whatever is coming my way wow and i'm, and I'm really really grateful for just for for just spilling your heart out and i know you're speaking from the core so i know you're very passionate i've seen you i've seen you on um on the socials where you've been like in Nigeria having so much fun. I'm like, Oh wow. Is she, really? Is she actually, is she actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, Jamaica is the 55th um, state uh, nation of, of Africa. You know that. Yeah. So yeah. It's officially, I mean, I'm home. Yes. Yeah, officially. Home. So, so yeah. you see me there celebrating in my mm -hmm. attire, 
in your gilet and you were like having so much fun and like okay she is actually nigerian anyways i'm happy i've never i've never been happier in my life than i'm when i'm in that environment and it's something that honestly no one's paid me to say it i often when i'm there i just stand and i cry i have never ever been so happy to stand back to watch a group of people a community a society celebrate who they are uh, um just in awe of mm-hmm. that the mindset of africans on a whole nigerians so much get get up and go i've seen people pour in the morning and become millionaires by afternoon because of our ideas and being in the right place at the right time i've seen that happen i've seen that happen so often and um so why wouldn't i like home why wouldn't I love home? And I encourage, if you get the opportunity to go, anyone to go to Nigeria, but it's all about who you go with, mm-hmm. please take that opportunity. And those British born from Nigeria, Ghana, even the Caribbean, go home. Go home at least once in your lifetime. And if you don't have a great experience, go back again. Go back again. But there's no place like home. Great. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing in my next month, I guess, I'll be doing a move back summit, a move back to Africa summit. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm just bringing people who've already moved, who are yes. there, people here from the diaspora in the US, all over Gambia, Senegal, South Africa, like that, bringing them together to one platform. We'll just be like gisting and talking about the opportunities and how you need to visit. If it's just to visit, just visit. Anyhow, you want to just just go and see, and just keep that as an option instead of going to, uh, instead of going to Spain or Dubai or somewhere south of France. You know, Victor, it is. Victor, you can have it all. You know, you can have it all. You can do all of those places: Dubai, Spain, whatever. Mm-hmm. But personally, I think it's important to know who you are. Um, and um, to go, ex, ex, you know, even if, it, as you quite rightly said, if you go back home and if you don't do a business there, but stand back and watch how p- business is done. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world is our oyster. There are over 220 countries to choose from in the world yeah. where you want to do, where you can do whatever it is that you want to do. You don't have to remain wherever you are. And I gave, I did a seminar this week for African in, in particular Nigerian makeup artists and I said to them the whole world is yours you just have to make sure that you have the right qualifications the necessary paperwork the right sponsors the right bracketing but your back garden is as big as you want it to be so yes wow yeah. that is powerful your back garden is as big as you want it to be okay yeah yes. take that so thank you very much Erica and if they want to like if someone wants to like take this conversation further to like know more about the all embracing Embracing all tools so if someone wants to take the conversation forward how can they like um reach i'll give them a free one ericafreemantle.com that's one yes that's that's the erica freemantle platform but there's also oh you know my platform by heart there's also um etow.co.uk that's www.eatow.co.uk um, we're always looking for sponsors. We're looking for partners. Um, we try to do things at the highest level. 
Um, we launched a couple of weeks ago. We're looking forward. We're, we're actually honoring Tara um, of House of Tara next, next month. We're giving her an Icon Award. As I said, it's not just always the beauty industry, but it's predominantly the beauty industry because that is my industry and that's where I'm known. But we recognize talent and we bring that talent into the diaspora so that the people here in the UK or wherever get to understand that there's more to the African woman or the Caribbean woman than what they envision her to be. We are good at everything that we put our hands on. So we celebrate ourselves. Great, great, great. So thank you again and again and again no for, being, for being part of this show. And I'm really, really grateful for this conversation. I'm grateful too. And thank you for having me, Victor. Even though I said I only had 15 minutes, you've had 45. You've uh, had 45, you've had 45 of my minutes and uh, 45 minutes well done. Thank and you it so was, much. And it was an investment into me and my family. Thank you. Oh, no problem. And give my love to your daughter. No worries. I will definitely. So I said that she's beautiful. Yes, I will definitely. So thank you very much for being part of the show. We really appreciate you here. Listen, we all have ideas and visions of how we see our lives, but without strategic moves, it will remain a pipe dream. As an accountability coach and your success partner, I help and support my clients to build their dream business or their dream lifestyle and make it a reality. So talk to me today, no matter how crazy your vision business vision is or how crazy your ideas are we can build structure to make it a reality so send me an email or click the link below to talk about your ideas now it is your dream it came to you for a reason to be responsible because the world is waiting for you to act thank you until next time this is victor osio be great